Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. Oh my gosh, I just interviewed Nick Ray, author of The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. Learned so much. This guy is super interesting. He's built and exited two companies, wrote this book, which is how do you, like, literally how do you do a cocktail party to get people to show up, to build your network, to make friends, and to do it in a way that's easy for the for those of you that are not party people, this is the book for you. This is the show for you. The guy is super cool, super interesting, super smart, and super fun. So with that said, stay tuned. This is a great show. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest, my main man. Nick Gray is in the house. What's up, Nick? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh, man! It's been it's been a while. So Nick Nick didn't remember we met. He and I met uh, two years ago almost at a Tiger Twenty One meeting, and, and and when he uh, his team hit me up to be on the show, and I was like, I've met you before. It was really quick. It was brief, but we met, and and here we are now, months later, and here to talk about your new book, the Two Hour Cocktail Party. I'm showing it on the screen for listeners that are checking out. So c- congratulations on the book, Nick. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's neat. It's great to see you again and to connect both of us recording and reporting live from Austin, Texas. I know. I know. You know, I got to get with the program and make build like a live studio so that when I have a local guest that we can do this in, in the IRL in real life. Um, yes. But yeah, um, we are both in the wonderful tip of the spear, as I call it, Austin, Texas, where all oh, the yeah. action's happening. Uh, yep. You you know, it's funny. You by way of New York City, me by way of San Francisco. So we're, we're coast to coast. We're, we're in the center, in the deep in the middle now. We're here, we're here changing lives. Um, we're meeting in the middle. <laughs> exactly, meeting in the middle. Um, so um, 
listen, for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine is, we're about two things. We're about people living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And we love entrepreneurs. We love entrepreneurial stories and we love authors because we're here, you know, I always say that, you know, leaders are givers and it's about like giving our value to the world in the multiple ways that we're capable of doing that. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you and I met in Tiger 21. Tiger 21 is is a group of investors that get together, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs in Tiger 21. So I met some really cool entrepreneurs through that group. Um, that's how you and I met originally, reconnecting through the book. But I'd love it if you could t- kind of give your origin story. I mean, I, I doubt it that when you were like a 10-year-old boy, you're like, man, I just can't wait to write a book about a two-hour cocktail party and be an entrepreneur. Like, like take us back. Take us, where are you from originally? How did you become an entrepreneur? You know, give us kind of the origin story. Um, I grew up in a very middle-class household, but also very entrepreneurial. My father was always like a mad scientist trying to do new business ventures and things like that to help further our family's position. And as such, you know, I had some business ventures growing up, just like anyone. I had a lawn care company. I remember I was really big into Magic the Gathering cards and baseball cards. And when I was in high school, I started a web hosting company that was reselling web server space for folks who needed to put their domain name online. So that was kind of my first business. It helped me go to college on a nice scholarship. And in college, I experimented with businesses. I tried to start a software company uh, right after college. And because I was bootstrapping it, I moved to India, thinking that my dollar would go a lot farther there. (laughs) I could hire more programmers over in India, Um, which was a silly idea in hindsight. I ended up hiring two programmers One was in Warsaw, Poland, and the other was in Boston, and somehow I was over the guy in India. It didn't make a lot of sense. What part of of India did you go to? I first landed in Bombay, and I I was there, and I made my way to um, Pune, which is like a college town that's nearby. And people told me there'll be tons of programmers and students I could hire there. This was in 2005, so the startup culture was very different, and nobody wanted to work for a young crazy American guy. It was a very, I was met with a lot of weird stares and receptions. Had you been um, to India before or was that your first trip to India? I'd never been there. No, wait, wait. no so, I'd so, never so, been there. Oh, like, well, I got to press the pause button here. So first of all, and you went to Wake Forest, is that correct? Yes. Wake Forest uh, in North Carolina. Yep. That's what my wife's cousin is a freshman there right now. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he likes it. Um, so, okay. So you graduate college. Did you, what did you major in? by the way. I was a business major. All right. So, so, so you kind of, you had the entrepreneurial bug. You, like you said, you started a hosting company and did some uh-huh. business stuff before. Were you doing businesses in college too? Or was it in college? Like- I was doing some business stuff as well. And that's really where this software idea started in college. I had success. It was a social, social type thing. And it got a lot of traction on the college campus. So, so you're like, you know, I'm going to move to India. I heard that it's cheaper to live there. My dollar will stretch farther. Total bootstrapper, right? Right. Yes. And so, so you've never been there, which is insane that someone would move to India having never actually visited. Uh, how long were you in India for? So I ended up being there on that trip for only four months. I was there for four months. I hired these two programmers. The software thing wasn't really working out. I was like, I'm the guy over here and they're over there. This isn't exactly working the way that I thought that it should. Uh, and so I kind of moved back. I left and I, with my, my tail between my legs, and I came home uh, to where my folks were in North Georgia. 
And as I was recentering myself, my dad was starting this business in the basement of our home that made uh, avionics equipment for small planes. Wow! And yeah. you know, he the, the the whole basement had his you know production equipment and laid out on all this. It was a very funny scene. Um, and I helped him hire his first employees and help do some marketing things, so magazine ads and website and marketing materials. And I thought that I would help him out for a couple of weeks, and that turned into a couple months. My mother had joined, and it really was a family affair. And that turned into several years, and we grew it to over 70 employees wow. to be a much larger, larger business. Now, now, so how, how did they, your dad decide to build an avionics, you know, this is flight display systems, I take it? Is that correct? Yes. Yep. How, was he a pilot? Was he, did he have a passion for flying? How, did, how does one get into such a business? Yes, my dad was a pilot, very passionate about flying. He was in the Air Force. Actually, I was born on an Air Force base, and uh, my mother was in the Air Force as well. They left the service about a year after I was born, but my dad always worked sort of in the aviation world. And this was something that, you know, he was like, I think I can do this better. Because at the time, if you wanted a moving map that showed you in your Learjet or Citation Jet where the plane was flying, you had to buy this like $60,000 box from Rockwell Collins or Honeywell. And my dad was like, I think I could just take a Windows computer and some software and make that map a lot easier. So that was his kind of claim to fame in this little micro niche market. And then started to make and manufacture a lot of associated products with that. How, and so, so how old was your dad when he started that company? Wow, that's a great question. He, is, he was probably mm, 42 years old or so. Okay, so he's fairly. I mean, at, you probably thought he was old then, but that's pretty young for for yeah. a, a person, right? Um, yeah. It was, and you said he'd always been a tinker. Was this his first entrepreneurial success, or had he had previous successes? That was his first entrepreneurial success, and before he'd all, you know, he'd done everything, in, including you know, he tried to start some fried chicken restaurants. He worked in aviation for a lot of other people. And this was his first real big hit for sure. And and so the business grew to 70, had count. Roughly how much in revenue did it get to? Do you, do you mind sharing? I don't think we ever announced how much in in revenue was shared, but it was, um, it was you know, probably low, high seven figures, low eight figures. Okay. So, so it's a, it's a low eight figure, high seven figures. And, and how long did you, did you guys, you guys sold the company? I under, as I yep. understand it, what year did yep. that happen in? We sold the company in 2014 to a um, private equity business. Okay. And did you guys stay on or was it a complete exit where you left the business completely? It was a complete exit. It was actually pretty amazing. And um, one thing that happened, which you might think interesting and your listeners might, is that we had really tried hard, especially my father, to hire a CEO uh, that could really run the business for him. And that was really hard for him to find a good fit. And we went through several of those. It was constantly, like every other year, we were trying to hire a new one. And one of the guys who we had hired, who just wasn't, we didn't think was a good fit for certain reasons, but he had got inside the business and learned all about it and the numbers, a couple months after he was fired, actually came back with a private equity company to make 
the unsolicited mm-hmm. offer to buy the business. Well, wait, so he did hire the CEO and then fired him? Did I just hear you correctly? Yes, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And so that guy's like, this is a great company. That guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I'm going to buy that company. Exactly. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He fired the wrong person. I can run it way better than he can. And I'm going to come back and show him. And so he went out and reached out to some PE people to get them interested. I mean, it was a pretty incredible situation. Wow. Good for him. Good for that person. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here. And I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, so he buys the company. You guys is a complete exit. Now, just, yep. I mean. Which, I'm, by the way, that was wild. That was a wild experience to have a complete exit where nobody really knows. And one day you announce that the company sold and the next day you don't go into work. It was very strange. Oh, whoa. It was that abrupt? 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> that's how at a at a large sort of transaction that's how that stuff. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Was it so? Was the private equity a financial p- private equity or strategic private equity? So it was a financial partner, not so much of a strategic acquisition where they were rolling it up into something else. And and so literally, and, and the, it must have been a solid number for you to be willing to walk away that quickly. Um, so so you got you guys decided to get the buyout, and you said this is an '05 was when your dad started the business. Fourteen nine years later. You guys so he have started a... the business. He was working on it for years in the basement of our house. And oh, okay. I would say that, you know, I think I remember I registered the domain name and built the website in 99. Oh, wow. And this was a side project for him that he was, you know, sort of playing with, kind of tinkering with as he had another full-time job. I forget exactly when he quit his full-time job to work on it full-time then. But 2005 was when I joined the company. Did he bootstrap it or did he raise capital? It was entirely bootstrapped. Yep. Oh, that's, that's such a cool story. So, so that is that is a crazy exit. If we were if this show was just about your guys' entrepreneurial story, we di- I, I'd want to dig in further. But that's that's pretty cool. So, you guys exit the company. Everyone gets paid, and 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 you're what at this point you're what th- almost what thirty years old. 2014. At the time that I exited, so I left the business a year before selling to um, private equity. And I think that was one of the reasons that my dad was ready to sell because I think his plan was that I would um, take over the business and I would want to run it for myself. And when I didn't want to, then he was like, all right, I guess I will do this offer. So, so there was a lot of dynamics that were going on there. I left the business a year before and had gone off to work on my museum hack, which was my next business. So, were, so was were you in Georgia doing this with the family, or were you in New York City at that point? I was in Georgia uh, for the first several years, and then eventually, I moved to New York City with the attempt and the want to have a social life, because <laughs> basically I was living at home, working with my parents, living with my parents, had pretty much absolutely zero social life, yeah. and I liked it. I didn't mind it. I liked focusing on work. I loved working. You know, my dream Sunday was I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go to Waffle House, I'd get some breakfast and coffee, and then I'd go into the office and have the office to myself, and I'd blast music and get sort of caught up on projects. I loved that, but I knew that that wasn't super healthy, as that I was missing out on a lot of social interactions. So, so, so you moved to the Big Apple, and you want to start the new business, Museum Hacks. So, so tell us about that. So I had moved to New York City, and I was able to work for the business, our family business, from New York, running our um, international sales. And I could do all our marketing and work remotely, and so that was really nice. But uh, I needed a hobby, and as I was in the city, I started to host these events at first, and then I started to do these weird museum tours. So that is sort of where Museum Hack came out of that this woman took me to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Have you been to the Met Museum, by the way? You know, I, 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 I've been to a couple. I'm not a huge museum person, but I, I, yeah. is it the one where they have, like, when you go in, there's, like, the scenes from, like, the cavemen and all that stuff? Am I thinking yeah. of the right? Well, that... sort of. You might be thinking about the American Museum of Natural History, which is right across the park, and it's where Night at the Museum was sort of based off of that museum. 
Um, the Metropolitan Museum is enormous, and it has an Egyptian temple inside. For many yeah. people, that's one of the most famous things. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've actually not been. I've not been. I'm not a huge. You don't. You know, it's funny. I'm not a huge like sightseer person. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm a person, and I love New York City. So when I go to New York City, it's like let's go just hang out and like eat food and chill and walk around. And, um, and whereas my wife is, does like museums, I'll go to some, but, but I, uh-huh. you know, I, I think I've been once, but I, I because I'm so anti sightseeing, I'm going to yeah. like wholeheartedly admit I maybe have not gone. So let's, so, so please tell us more though. Well, you're my people though, because that attitude of like, Oh, this museum, it's boring. I don't like this type of stuff. That's how I feel. And that's how I felt about museums until this woman took me to the Met on a romantic date. Oh, so she brought me there. It's like our third or fourth date, and she was planning it. And I think just the just having an attractive woman show you around the museum and kind of talk to me at my reading level, which is like a third grade level, <laughs> about the art and the antiquities and the sculpture was awesome. It was so nice that I started to go back to the museum. I was like, oh, I moved to New York to hang out at places like this. And so that's what I did. I started to go back to the museum on weekends. It became my third place. And um, when friends would come visit New York, I'd be like, hey, come and look at this place I've been hanging at. Like, I found all these interesting objects just walking around, looking things up on YouTube, Wikipedia, museum tours, whatever. And I started to develop this tour for friends that were visiting town. And then I started to give it to other New Yorkers who, similar to you, had just not been there. They're like, I don't know, the museum, it's not for me. Um, And it became this kind of like underground word of mouth thing that I did for fun, for free, for friends. And then this blog wrote about my tours and they said it was the best thing to do in all of New York City, Nick Ray's underground tours. And um, literally overnight, I think 1,300 people sent me an email wanting to join one of these tours. I was like, oh my God. How much, how much were you charging for the tours? Nothing. It was free. It was just oh, free. Uh, yeah. Oh, this is free. Like, you're just like doing this for fun. Just for fun. Just for fun to meet people, just to hang out. It was truly a labor of love. Wow. And how often were you doing them? Every single Friday and Saturday night. Okay. And, and was it like young people, old people, tourists, everybody, like anybody and everybody? At the beginning, it was millennials you know, really millennials. It evolved to be millennial-minded people. Those with short attention spans, really anyone that just wants a fast, non-traditional museum tour. So long story short, I don't know how much you want me to go into it, but I was like, wow, 1,300 people. There's something here. I need to hire some tour guides so I can do a lot of tours. To hire tour guides, I got to charge. How am I going to charge? feels weird. Well, I told people, well, I have this big list. I'll do tours for free. But if you want to skip the line, then you can actually pay for the tours. And so everybody wanted to pay for them. And they were happy to pay for them. And that was, oh, my God, I wrestled with that. I remember wrestling, being like, I don't want to charge for the tours. It's going to change everything. Of course it didn't. Of course people took me way more seriously once I started to charge. They valued it more. I had less no-shows. Things got better when I charged for the tours. Um, and then I started to hire guides and employees. And I think what made it special was that we hired non-traditional tour guides. So I would hire people like stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to lead the museum tours. And that's what was special. Were you training them on how to lead it your way or how did, how did that work? A hundred percent. I was training them to lead it my way, but I couldn't tell them what to talk about because they had to speak passionately. I just tell them my style of tour, fast paced, lots of objects, certain things, name tags, icebreakers. 
But I said, look, for you to talk passionately, you have to write your own tour. You need to get familiar and comfortable with the museum. So started with that. And so before you'd approve them to actually carry a tour, would they have to like, would, would they do like a dry run with you as they're like them kind of taking you on a tour guide? That was a big part of the audition process. You know, we didn't do job interviews. We did job auditions. And so they would actually have to spend time and research the museum. And eventually we started to pay for that time where they would spend time just to build a little museum tour. And so I would say, hey, show me three pieces that you like. Why should I care about this type of stuff? It was a very fun experience, you know, because we would call people in and say, hey, meet at the museum on Saturday at 1 o'clock. This is your job interview. I'd meet them all, like, in the cafeteria. I'd say, look, here's how this is going to work. You have an hour to go research stuff at the museum. Find three things in these galleries that you like that seem interesting. Write a little tour. Why should I care about this? And then they would have to give me the tour an hour later. So that was a really good way for me to find people in real time and not get stuck on resumes and stuff like that. That's so funny. And so, um, so how, did, how big did that business grow to? That business grew to about 40 employees and about the, the highest sale we ever got was like $2.8 million in one year. Nice. And so uh, walk us through what happened. When did you, did you decide to exit that business as well? So, yeah, so this wasn't my first rodeo. I had hired a CEO and a marketing director who were really running the company with many other staff members, and they were doing a great job. Um, And after about a year of me being not very involved in the business, they basically said, hey, wait a sec, we're doing all the work, and he's making all the money. Um, And they came to me with an offer to buy the business out through seller financing, which gave me a way to leave the business and them a way to really take it to the next level. So that happened. I think they made me the offer late 2018, and we spent several months with lawyers and other things, and the, the deal closed in 2019. Man, that's so cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you, so you end up exiting the company. Well, let me ask you a question. When you, you were doing this for fun, did you have a job early on? Yes, yes. I was still working at the family business all week long. I was still doing all that. This was my nights and weekends. So your nights and weekends, you're, you're starting this little, it wasn't even a side hustle. It was just like a side fun thing. Turns into a side hustle. You exit the company, your parents' company, and then you end up, what year was it that you end up full-time turning this into a business? So I started full-time working on Museum Hack in 2013, sold the family business in 2014. So I had been working on this beforehand, and I really officially left Flight Display Systems 2013 to start Museum Hack, sold the family business a year later. So it's not like I had used the funds from that sale or anything like that to start this business. This business required no startup capital. Oh, man, you're, you're like a total serial bootstrapper. So, so right now... You exited the business, what was it, three years ago? So and actually, gosh, timing couldn't have been better because I doubt if COVID was helpful for the, that business. I mean, how did they run the business during COVID? What happened to them? You know what's fascinating is that they uncovered a genius new business model during COVID. Certainly, 
terrible during the early days and they went through yeah. so much stress. The business literally went to zero overnight. All museums shut down, group tours, everything shut down, huge amounts of payroll and everything that they had to meet. And they found and they really kind of pivoted to virtual uh, team building activities. And the business that they built out of that is just going gangbusters now. So full so, credit to them on that. That's really cool. So they're doing virtual team builds. And, and, um, and so 19, you exit. And what's been, what's been going on since then for you? Since then, I've been working on this new business, this new project. It's not a business. It's, it's more of a project still of just trying to get people to host their own two-hour cocktail parties. It sounds very weird, but the benefits that I got from hosting these parties that helped me launch my business, build big relationships, make so many friends, I'm trying to share that with other people now. Yeah, so, so, so take us through that. So, so you, it, this sounds like this was really born out of this passion from the Museum Hack, which became its own business, this idea of getting people together. T- t- take us through that. I'd love to hear the background. The background is when I moved to New York, like I said, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends. Uh, I'd go to networking events and nightclubs. I tried to meet people, and I wasn't very successful doing that. Um, I, didn't even, I wasn't popular in high school. I was not outgoing especially. But I learned how to do that through a lot of trial and error. And hosting my own parties, I found I was more successful. Instead of going to bad events, I'd bring the party to me. And I'd just start to host these small events, 15, 20, 25 people. And we'd wear name tags. And I'd just say, look, I'm meeting all these interesting people here in town. I'm going to bring them all together for a tight, sort of compact event. It wasn't a networking event, but it also wasn't like a crazy rager of a party where everybody's getting blackout drunk. It was something that probably you would think looks like a networking event, but it's just for friends. And it's great. It's great to meet new people. And that's something now I'm passionate about. I find that as I get older, it's so much harder to make new friends. So when you were um, in college and high school, it sounds like you, 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 you brought the party to you. Did, were you always a connector in that way? I think I was a connector in so much that, you know, I've been self-publishing on the internet for a long time. I've had a website and a blog for many, many years. Um, Was I a connector? I don't know. I didn't host a lot of parties in college, but one thing that really lit a fire under me in New York was that my college roommates were insanely successful, and they were in New York City, and I did not want to just ride in their coattails. I didn't want to mooch off of their social networks. I really wanted to build my own. Maybe I was a little bit competitive as well. And so really wanting to do that, have put my own stake in the ground, I think that's what drove it. So fast forward again, you, you decide to write the book. Um, how long did it take you to write the book, roughly? It took me about five years. Um, it was hard with COVID. I was getting ready to launch it February 2020, um, sending the files to the publisher, preparing to read the audio book, which, by the way, for anyone listening, if you haven't heard this tip, you're thinking about writing your own book. I'm sure you know this, but before you submit it, read it out loud. Read the entire thing out loud like you are recording the audiobook. You will be shocked at how weird some of the things that you wrote certainly happened to me. Yeah, they call um, that the a read out loud edit, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's pretty amazing when you read anything out loud, you start to hear it in your the voice as opposed to the two-dimensional words on paper. And to your point, it completely transforms. Like You will change a lot of stuff when you do that. I agree. It's shocking. Things that I had read dozens of times, read and written and reread and edited, and I read it, and I'm like, 
what idiot let this through? I was like, oh, yeah, that was me. Uh, that uh, was me. Moi. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so you, you, you get, it took a few years to write the book. Take us through the book. Tell us, like, high level, like, what does the book do? What are some of your favorite parts of the book, the high points? Like, why should people read this book? So high level, uh, how might your life be different if you had a rich network of acquaintances in the town where you live? Similar to how we met through a networking group or a mastermind, what if you had people who were constantly inviting you to events, if you had friends who challenged you, uplifted and inspired you? I find that it's just so hard to meet people as we get older. And many people, I think I read a stat that said 20% of men don't have a single close friend. 15% 15% of women, uh, and that most American adults have not made a new friend in the last three years. Wow. It's, it's just hard to meet people. And I found that gathering for a cocktail party, here's the secret, is way easier than a dinner party, but I got actually more benefits. I could so invite more people. Yep. Is the thought process around that, that if I say, hey, come over for a two-hour cocktail party, that it's low commitment and they can do other stuff? That's exactly right, and it's easy for you. That's the key point, is that it's easy for the reader, for the host. Because anybody can write a book about how to host a dinner party, and you know what? You'll probably do it exactly once because it's stressful and it's just like it takes a lot of work. And most people, a dinner party is too complicated. For the average first-time host, a dinner party is not what they need to do. It's too much work. It's, it takes too much leadership. So, uh, you know, I, you don't know this about me, but um, my business, first business I started out of college was I was a party promoter. And so I would throw what? these, yeah, I threw massive nightclub parties in like Hollywood and Santa Barbara and LA. And, um, and, and then I quickly learned that throw, trying to throw parties and make money on parties is not as fun as going to parties uh, because you're literally working your ass off the whole time. And I was in the nightclub industry for, for a few years. Um, but uh, I've always been a party thrower. I like throwing parties. I, I, I mean, I'll throw, I'll throw dinner parties. I'll, uh, but, I, but the issue I started noticing as I got older, I mean, I've always thrown like these insane parties that, I mean, I have parties that I've thrown that people 20 years ago that talk about them now because they're like, that was the craziest party I've ever been to. And, 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 and it's by like design. Like my, for my 40th birthday, I'm a twin. My 40th birthday, my brother and I threw like a weekend in Scottsdale party we did like cabanas at the pool. It was really fun. And then we did a party inside the hotel that night. My wife hired like all these crazy people and it was really fun. And then in the middle of the party, we had a bunch of Mexican Lucha Libra wrestlers break into the party, grab us. Little did they know that we had built an entire wrestling like stage next door. And we had a full blown Mexican wrestling match four four wrestling matches. So this is my 40th birthday, right? Oh my uh, Lord. So it was really fun. And so I like throwing big parties. But what I noticed now, and I just had this happening, I want to hear your opinion about this. I kind of go all out, right? I like going all out, making it memorable, making these really cool experiences. And then I always have, I'm like, I have a rule that I have to have the most fun at the party, right? And and that's my rule that came out of being a club promoter because I never had fun when I was throwing the clubs. I I said, look, I'm not going to throw parties unless I have the most fun there, which which doesn't always end well. But uh, the, the, the point that I'm getting at is I recently had a situation, literally like over the last couple of weeks, where I was like, look, we never do anything great for New Year's Eve. I said, why don't we invite a bunch of people over and, you know, and, and we'll, we'll go do something cool. We'll have them all come over. We can, you know, let's just get a bunch of people together. And so I've probably invited, I don't know, a dozen people. And I've not got one yes yet. 
is everyone's mm. like there. And I told my wife, I said, I think they're hedging. Like they're, they, they want to see what other options come their way before they'll, cause it's New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve is a, is a high investment night. Right? right. And so I was like, well, I can't plan a party if people won't say yes. Right. right. And I don't want to like not know what I'm doing. And so I ended like literally here I am November 2nd. And I started this conversation three weeks ago. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get ahead of it to try to like organize people. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I've not got one hard yes yet. And so I'm, mm. I'm, I'm in total no man's land. And, and I was like, man, I'm doing something wrong. It's really hard to get people to commit. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. All right. So you have decided to play your party planning on hard mode. And that is because you've selected perhaps the most red level night of the entire year, which is New Year's Eve. And I remember a friend of mine, Steve, in New York City, uh, planned his first party ever on New Year's Eve. He had a new girlfriend, and, and they said, you know what, we're, we want to be party hosts, and so we're going to host a party on New Year's Eve. And he sent it, you know, I lost his invite because I went to like spam or something because he sent it through um, paperless post or something. And I found it there like three days before the party, and I called him to see if this was real. And he was completely stressed out. He's like, I have no idea how many people are going to show up. I'm spending all this money. This is a total nightmare. And I talk about this in my book, that for the new party host, you need to choose to make it easy. Make it easy for people to say yes and choose what I call a non-red level day. Now, red level days during the normal week, and you may agree, are Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Those are socially competitive nights. <laughs> They're nights when other things will happen and your friends are going to see if something else comes up. I suggest people only host the party on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights. Mm. When you host on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, it also shows that this is not a blowout, blackout, big drinking party. This is a casual cocktail that you can pop in and you're going to be in and out because it's a school night. Everybody has to work the next day. And so my book, I really talk about the thesis of for a new host, what do you think the greatest fear is? What's the biggest fear that a new host has? Nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. That's the biggest fear. Or worse, only a couple people show up. Oh, yeah, because then it becomes, it's like a dud. Nobody shows up. Nobody knows it was bad. A couple show up. They know it was bad. They know it's bad. You're sitting in that absolute dud. You haven't reached critical momentum, and it's just terrible. And you know what? I've, I've talked to so many readers of my book, and I've heard from people all this party trauma that they have that... <laughs> Almost everybody's hosted a party that's gone really poorly. And for many people, it's what holds them back from hosting again. So my whole thing is like, look, let's make it easy. Let me try to teach you the MVP, the minimum viable party. What's a formula or what's an operating system so that you can learn how to make hosting a habit? Because I imagine when you were hosting parties back in college, when you were a club promoter, you had momentum. And for you, you could spit out a party like nothing because you just had that muscle and you had that warm list of people and you could just just do it with no problem. Well, that's a muscle that has to get developed in people. And so I'm all about the biggest benefits come when you can make hosting a habit. When you can take someone like me and you meet me and we both live in Austin, we're like, geez, why haven't we hung out? Like, oh, hey, I'm hosting a cocktail party in three weeks. Let me send you the info. You should totally swing by. Mm. that is so much easier for busy people, for high performers, than for us to say, hey, look, here's your schedule. What's my schedule? What's your schedule? Let's pick out a time. 
Instead, oh, here's a cocktail party. Come drop by sometime. Low commitment, low investment, but I found high reward. And so that's like my mission now, and I found that a cocktail party can be done for under $100, minimal planning, low stress, and it's not about the food. It's not about the decorations. I love what you did for your birthday. I love that. It's also one of these like top 20 life moments that takes a lot of planning. Sure. And so this format and formula that I've come up with is for an easy, repeatable, low-stress party operating system that can really be applied to any gathering. It's not about the cocktails, by the way. I don't even drink alcohol. But we use that phrase cocktail party because immediately there's a social understanding of what that is. And so, um, first of all, I love this. This is, the, and I appreciate the the the, uh, the thoughtfulness around it, like the strategy around what days. Do you, are you familiar with a guy by the name of John Rulin? Of Gif- John, he has a book. He wrote no. a book called Giftology. Oh man, should I read that? I've heard. Yeah, I've should, heard about that. You, you should read it. He, he he's been a guest of a couple years back on the show. He's actually going to be a guest in a couple months again, and he's a friend of mine. And so he kind of has a similar idea, which he's like, listen, don't give gifts like for business. Like he's like, first of all, you got to make the gift all about the other person, which is you know makes sense. But he but he, one of his rules is don't give gifts when everyone else gives gifts. So you should do it. Don't do Christmas gifts for your clients. Don't do, you know, birthday. He's like, do random, like, like new, like not, n- don't do new year's. He's like, stay away from those zones. Do Valentine's day, do a Valentine's yeah. gift. Now for your client, do, um, uh, Thanksgiving, do veterans day. He's like, pick these totally off days to give gifts. Right. Because Fair. it's, it's, they're not going to be like, think about that. Like everyone's the same idea as yours. Everyone's being bombarded with parties. Everyone's being bombarded yeah. with gifts around the holidays. Well, why would you, he's like, I would never give them a gift then. I'll do it like one month into the new year for no reason rather than to do it during Christmas. Cause then they'll actually look at it and they'll see it. So I love that idea of like getting out of these red zone days. I want to hear a little bit about the two hour part. Why two hours? Is that like, Hey, low commitment. I could get in, get out, and have a few drinks. All right, see you, see you, everybody. Go home. You got work tomorrow. What are your thoughts around the two hours? The two hours is important for this reason. Number one, you've hosted a lot of events, so you may have experienced this. You know, if you host an event that starts at 6, what time do people show up? 7, 7.30. 7, 7.30, right? <laughs> but then what would happen to me was the most awkward people or the people I don't know the best, they show Six. up right on time. 6 o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, on the nose. Without fail. 5.57. Whoa, they're here early. (laughs) 5.57, knock, knock, knock. And it's like, who is this? I don't even know you. I have to, like, entertain you. Well, what I found was when I host a party with a two-hour time limit, more people show up on time, number one. Number two, Mm. more people said yes. They Mm. said yes because this it was clear to them that this was an easy, I don't want to say efficient party, but it was much more of a low commitment. And I found that people love the two-hour time limit. Because if you've ever been at an event and you've been like, oh, I want to leave, but I don't exactly want to be the first to leave. Or if you've ever been somewhere and you've wanted to leave but not immediately left when you've wanted left, this really helps. This helps for that. And I find that the guests follow up with me uh, and say, thank you so much for giving me an easy out. I really appreciate that party. It was nice. I appreciate that you ran it and that you ended it when you did. We end the parties on a high note. So people are excited and they want to come back for more. That's really important. But just oh, having yeah. it tight, I find, is very, very important. 
And so when you started doing these two hour parties, and first of all, like, again, strategic, thoughtful, I love this. What when leaving on a high note is what? All right, guys, like, are you ending two hours in? Because what I find with myself is I'll just if the party's going, I'm like, all right, let's just keep, I mean, let's just keep going. Right. Um, like, obviously, that's harder to do during the week. But yeah. what is your rule around that? If I say, OK, fine, I'm having people over for cocktails at seven o'clock or six o'clock, call it. And at six to eight, we're having cocktail parties at school night. Um, you know, at eight o'clock now, it's like, dude, there's buzz. It's, it's happy. I'm like, all right, everybody, party's over. Like, how do you end that? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Somebody like you who's a pro host, you are going to have problems with two things. Number one, you won't want to end the party on time. And no. number two, you'll probably invite a lot more people than you're supposed to invite. The, the, the best number of people that I've found is 15 to 20. And I found that folks like you will get 15 or 20, like, oh, I forgot about this person, this person, this person, and suddenly you have 35 people. Um, so how do you end the party? At, what I find is that, number one, by listing a start time and an end time in the invitations, in the uh, um, RSVP page, that sets the expectation. And it lets people know that if they need to leave, they can leave at that time. How do I actually leave the party? How do I get people to leave 15 minutes before it's scheduled to leave? I'll just stop the party. I'll turn down the music. I'll make a little announcement. Hey, everybody, thank you for coming. Party's supposed to end in 15 minutes, so I guess this is last call. Grab a drink if you want. Say hey to somebody new, and um, I'll talk to you in a couple minutes. Now, very often, if the party's going well, I will make an announcement at the time. All right, everybody, it's 8 o'clock. If you have to leave, I totally understand. Thank you so much for coming. I'm having so much fun, though, that we'll do a bonus. Bonus 30 minutes, so feel free to hang out, have some chips, and at that point, I'll start to turn the lights up. I'll turn the music down. I'll let people mix and mingle. But I will end the party. And the reason I want to end it is because I want to do this again. And I want to stick to my goals. And I know that if I stay up too late, the next day I'm going to regret it. I'm not going to want to host a party again. I'm mm -hmm. not going to wake up and think, dang, that was easy. That, that was awesome. You know, like I'll have fun. But I won't want to stick to my goals. And my goals in hosting these party are really are to connect with people and to build those connections. So I don't know. How does that sound to you? No, like you're, you're hitting the nail on every, on every single thing I ask. So I have another question for you because all I'm thinking about is like, okay, I get it. If you don't have kids, I could do a cocktail party like – anytime because it's like what am i competing against like i'm not uh -huh. competing against like date child care i'm not competing against uh, soccer practice homework but i'm sitting here thinking like when you said that, i'm like man i love all this except how do i do this with my kids what are your thoughts on that how old are your kids my, my oldest is 12 it'll be 13 next month and my youngest is nine youngest is nine okay so what's the question about the kids is it the well, times so I, so actually, I don't have much of an issue with my kids. It's how do I get – most of my friends have kids. Now, I have a group of friends that don't have kids, and I can invite them, I guess. But but yeah. I want to be able to invite – You know, I guess I want to be able to invite whoever I want to invite, and I, I can foresee the kids' equation being getting in the way. Like, do, Is that part of your – like, how do you overcome that with people that have children? Is it just knowing that some won't show because of the things I'm talking about? Do you over-invite? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So here's my thoughts, and I'm going to put a link into the show notes that's some tips and advice that I've gotten from a lot of readers that have been hosting parties with kids. But the absolute pro move, if you can afford it, is to hire sitters and allow and provide childcare at your own gathering. Ah. And you'll say that, hey, 
We have another room in the house. We're going to set up for movies. We hired a babysitter. We're going to have snacks for the kids. And they pick a movie that's approximately two hours long or so and do a simultaneous kid party that's in another sector of the house. That allows your guests that if they're not able to book their own child care, but also realize that your friends are adults and they can handle their own child care. That's not like out of the realm for them to do as well. That maintaining and creating adult friendships is important. And that many times when we include children in the party, it's great, don't get me wrong. However, we can use those kids as a conversational crutch. If you've ever been to a kid's birthday party or something like that, you just talk about the kids, what school they go to, what sports are they into, things like that. And we don't really get to create those adult friendships. So that's my best advice. How does that uh, resonate with you? I, I love it. Yeah. Go pound sand. You, your, kids, your kids can eat dinner without you. Uh, <laughs> well, that was my next question. I'm like, oh, shoot. Now I got to feed their kids. And, and if it's at 6 o'clock, it's dinner time. But to your point, it's like, hey – we're all adults. They can either make it adult only or make it kids and people can figure it out. But to your point, if it's cool and it's fun, then, then people will want to show up because it's easy and it's not a red day. Um, going on that though. Okay. I, is there a thought process here? Maybe I'm, maybe this is the party planner in me that's coming out where I'm like, Hey, can I leverage this to level it up to the big, the big party? Like, okay, I'm building this like warm network of cocktail goers. So I'm building a, yes. a reputation socially that I'm a badass. And then, yes. Hey guys, it's new year's Eve. And everyone's like, of course we're in Darius. You're, you're the guy that always has great cocktail parties. Is that the level up? A thousand percent. This is why you host these parties to build a warm list. I hear from people all the time. Oh my gosh, I want to do this, that, or the other for my business. I don't know. It's a big thing. I want sponsors. I want to charge. I say, Hey, You've never hosted before. You don't have a warm list. Nobody knows that you can host a good event. Reel it back. Host events for 15 to 20 people. Get three of those under your belt so you can do it in your sleep. Then you're ready to blow it up. Then you have all these people for something bigger and better, and you know that that event will be a success. There's this guy out in San Diego who's reading my book. He blew up online because he hosts these like low-alcohol, no-alcohol events. Uh, he said, I have a, a huge social following. Sponsors want to work with me. I want to do an 80-person event. I said, bro, you've, never ho- you've literally never hosted something of that scale before. You need to host small events. You need to figure out the flow and what your spiel is going to be. Host three of those before you plan this. I talked to him last week, and he's like, I am so glad I did that. It's completely changed the way that I think about these events. Thank you so much. And now he's going to have the confidence to host a bigger event like that. So... I say this to people, actually, for their birthday parties. Somebody's like, oh, my God, I read your book. I have a birthday party. It's my 40th birthday party that's coming up in six weeks. I want to do this for that. I say, no, 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 no. Your first party needs to be a low-stakes affair. Do not pull from the top shelf. (laughs) Do not invite people that you want to impress. Do not invite new clients, new romantic interests. Your first party is like your neighbors, your old work friends, your college buddies, your neighbors make like make it easy. Make it easy on yourself to build the reps. And I think you of anybody as a host would know that hosting is a muscle. You get better at it. You can't expect that your first party you're just gonna at no, you're gonna be nervous. You're gonna you've never done name tags at your house before. You probably haven't run an icebreaker. Make it easy on yourself by keeping it a low stakes affair. Oh man. You just keep rolling with all the value here. So last question. Um with and, and you kind of answered it, but 
is this like social business combo? Like how, what are your thoughts around this? Is this like, you can make it whatever you want. Like how do people leverage this type of thing? Is it all the above or how do you think about that? Um, I think, you know, truly this is an incredible networking thing. Networking has got such a bad rap because it's transactional, it's slimy and it's gross. I find that leading with value, inviting someone to a party, you're already adding value to them. And then when you host a party where they get to meet a lot of people, it keeps you top of mind. I heard from a guy in Florida who read my book, and he hosted an event. He works in the insurance world. Um, He said, I hosted an event. I had 25 of my neighbors came. I didn't even pitch my business or what I do. They just know. They just will keep me top of mind. This is the best thing for my business. I'm already getting referrals just because now they know me. I'm top of mind for them. So this is an incredible thing. And also, just imagine that we were introduced in a work sort of context. Oh, my gosh, Nick, you should meet Darius. Well, for me to invite you for a cup of coffee to kind of pick your brain, or what if I was like, Darius, dude, I'm hosting a cocktail party. I get all these interesting people together. I'd love to have you over. Come hang out. It's me giving you something to start mm. with. It's just a super, super pro move. Oh, man. This is the, I, I'm, I'm so, you're getting me so excited. Now, you don't know this, but outside my door is a Dia de los Muertos party going on right now uh, in my house. <laughs> so, and it was really? kind of the same deal. Yeah, we have people. I, I, I wish I would have invited you, man. Like, we're yes. going to hang out. We, uh, we're going to have to figure out a way that's easy Please. to hang out. Like, um, but yeah, my wife planned a day of the dead party. That's literally happening as I speak right now. We got a few people over. Um, so, um, I'm going to, I want to end on this cause, and this has been just so many value bombs and so, so fun and so interesting. Um, you know, for people that want to do this, how often do you like, what's an ideal cadence and how often do you have these? Is it once a month, once a quarter, once, a, once a week? Like, what are your thoughts? Um, I think somebody like you could pull it off every month. I think the average person six to eight weeks. Once every six to eight weeks. The key is always having your next event on the calendar. So after an event, the next couple of days, plan your next event, get the date. Why is that? Because whenever you meet somebody, you have the next one scheduled that you can invite them to. Um, By the way, I, the secret thing is not asking if they want to come. The secret is asking, can I send you the information? Uh, it's an easy yes for them to say yes to. Yeah, soft yes. It's you're yesing them to the big yes. Exactly. <laughs> in in exactly. sales, right? So, Nick, uh, so, so this has been such an insightful and refreshing podcast. First of all, man, you're, you're you're a really interesting guy. I love the entrepreneurial story, and I really love the book. And I'm excited to share this with with folks. And I'm excited to to, to get into the rhythm of the gatherings because for me, it's been. I want to throw dinner parties. I want to, you know, and, and, and I could probably do that stuff too. Cause I do have a lot of muscles around this stuff, but this is way easier. And, and, yes. and I, and, and I'm, and you just sold me on, on really kind of toning it down and then maybe getting what I really want, which is to do the big blowout stuff too, but to do, but to do more of these just to like kind of go for a jog, if you will. But, uh, yes. where can people get the book? How can they connect with you? How can they learn more? So scope out the book, wherever books are sold online. I recorded the, um, audiobook, so it's on Audible, um, Apple Books. I think it's a really fun book to listen to. The physical copy of the book feels like a workbook. So if you scroll through it, there's got checklists and drawings and animations. And the highest compliment that I get from people is they say, oh, I read this in one sitting. And you can really read it in an hour. This isn't rocket science, how to invite people, how to do name tags, things like that. Uh, check the book out where it's sold online. Uh, I'll send some stuff for show notes, how to plan a networking event, how to host a happy hour, 
um, what to do with if you have little ones and kids. Um, and then find me online. I post on social media. I'm uh, at Nick Gray News, N-E-W-S. Guys, get the book. We'll, put, we'll post all the links in the show notes. Follow Nick. And uh, if you have a cocktail party, invite me. Uh, Nick, my friend, so, this has been such a pleasure having you. I'm, I'm excited for us. We're both in Austin, so we're going to connect socially offline. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Dude, thanks for having me. Great to meet everybody. Yeah, definitely. Guys, uh, you know what to do. Buy the book, follow Nick, all the above. With that said, we're out of here. Peace. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.